0: everybody welcome to the common justice podcast we're so excited to have you with us and we're super excited about this conversation we are going to have with jason davis from reimagining justice um jason's been a huge friend and partner of common justice for a number of years so i'm just going to say very little right now and just turn it over to jason so jason can you just tell us more about yourself and how you got involved with reimagining justice
1: so back in 2017, I met a, um, my colleague, Dr. Lisa Chowdhury. She used to work for Rutgers uni- University and we pretty much, I did a speaking event um, at Rutgers University with her and I believe Philly Dickinson. And from there, we ended up connecting with each other and saying that, you know, how dope would it be, you know what I mean, for the criminologists, you know what I mean, to pair with somebody who has lived experience and go around the country and speaking from that standpoint, so pretty much that's how we got started with Reimagining Justice. It didn't take long for us to start speaking about actually starting a non-for-profit. So after we created the non-for-profit, it was off to the races from there.
0: Awesome. And can you tell us about the the work specifically that Reimagining Justice does in the community?
1: So as far as like uh, transformative mentoring, social emotional learning, you know, I mean, going into schools and like, you know, kind of like training um, teachers to to be a little bit more um, trauma-informed, understanding when they're dealing with, like, youth, you know what I mean, and, and not pretty much, like, you know, leaning more or less into, like, the, the prison-to-school pipeline. I did a lot of direct service because I used to work for um, ACS in New York for about six or seven years. Um, after that, I kind of, like, you know, I didn't like the the red tape that was going on with um, in, in, in some of those institutions and um, agencies. So I kind of, like, wanted to go into, like, the field of um, not-for-profit where I can kind of, like, give all of myself to, like, the the communities that I I served in and was going around um, the country and seeing.
0: What do you mean by the red tape?
1: I don't like the red tape. Um, You know, when I was working for ACS, like, you know, sometimes, sometimes, like, you know, a a problem, I believe, can be fixed, like, immediately, like, you know, but, you know, it had um, certain loopholes had to be worked through or... Um, I would connect a, a family or a, a client to a, a resource and they will hold them up before they actually give them the resource instead of just like giving it to them directly so they can move on with their life and start getting to the next level of their life. Um, I didn't, I never understood it. If you know a family is in, is in need or a client is in need of something and you have access to it, it felt like it was a lot of gatekeeping going on in certain agencies and in certain institutions and, I know sometimes like, it's it's difficult. It's a lot of traumas that come with it. You know, for instance, I got clients that refuse to go into the welfare building because when they were younger, they went there with their mothers, and because of the hassles that was going on, because of the, the shame that came with it, they refuse to go into the um to this day, even though they might need that access um to that resource, and that goes for hospitals. It go it goes, uh um across the board. You know, so one of the big things that that I try my best to contribute to any client that I bump into is to to give them um, more access to me, you know, helping them fill out applications and and, and things of that nature, like, you know, helping them um, go through the process. So if it is traumatizing and they go into a a particular type of um, agency to to attempt to get a resource, you know, helping them through that process. So if somebody is trying to get a job and they've never filled out an application before, they never had a resume a day in their life, you know, actually sitting right next to them and working them through the process so that it's not difficult and it's not, you know, they don't give up as, as, as fast as they might uh, likely do um, if, they were, if you weren't there.
0: Great. It sounds like you do really great and important work. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the clients that you work with? Like What, what type of situations are they facing and what are you trying to help them come through?
1: Yeah, so the main ones I usually deal with are the ones that are in a a, a a constant state of crisis um a perpetual state of crisis so um they might end up might have been justice involved uh, might be involved in gangs um they might be you know selling drugs in order in order to make income um they might be homeless you know um couch surfing you know sleeping from house to house um pretty much doesn't uh, that, that doesn't really have a leg to stand on. Um, they might even be you know again um, crew or gang involvement you know so constantly in the streets fighting you know I me mean? or, or or dealing with community violence you know what I mean don't really have a, a, a support system so again my job is like to help them gain independency, you know um so make sure that I, I help them get a support system make sure that I helped um them fill out an application, um, make sure that they have their IDs, um, make sure that they have documentation to get an ID. Um, So some of the things that they might bump into all the time is they might want a job. And if you want a job, really know that you need an ID. In order to get an ID, you need um, certain documentations, but they might not have access to their birth certificate or their social. So even navigating to those systems to get those documentations in order to get your ID, Is a hassle sometimes, especially if you've never done it all your life. So helping them through all of those processes to help them get to a a, a certain stage in their life is that uh, is is like the the key thing that I do, because a lot of times uh, community violence happens because somebody is not in a position or didn't have enough resources to get those things to be able to move on with their life. So they end up doing something you know, simple, or they, or they end up doing something like you know, uh, taking a, a cutting corners or the easy way out in order to, to to get ahead in life.
0: So the work you do, would you define that as like violence interruption work? Because I feel like a lot of, like a lot of people are talking about violence interruption work right now, and sometimes folks just aren't really clear what it is. Would you describe that as violence interruption work?
1: Big time. So it, it's it's a big part of um, violence interruption. It's just the case management part of it. You know, making sure that um, um, I keep the data, the notes in order to to make sure that everything is packaged together so that I know exactly what I left over the participant, not just, you know, intervention. But, you know, now we're working on prevention. So if I know you're couch surfing, I know you're more likely to be shot in the streets by somebody or get into a confrontation and conflict with somebody in your community. Because if if you're couch surfing, that means somebody owns that apartment. And what happens often is that that person goes to work and if they're going to work, a lot of times they don't, you don't have access to the key. So they're telling you that, you know what I'm saying? You have to be outside the house until I get home. So if you're outside doing nothing in a, a, a area that is crime written, the likelihood of you being shot or hurt is high. So how do we, how, how do we actually prevent that from happening? You know, before we do intervention and do, you know I me mean, um, crime reduction or violence reduction,
0: and how do folks you work with, the young people that you work with, how do you reach them?
1: So a lot of a, a big part of the strategy is connecting to people in the streets that have influence. You know what I mean? So I just, you could pick any area and, and get the stats of a crime written area. You know, once you you find that area, you know, you find the people that have the influence to those young people or to that that community that might be um, taking part in any type of criminal activity or uh, any any um, type of violence and what happens is you connect them directly to the resources so if that means going to that block and pulling out your laptop and saying who needs an id you know who wants a job who doesn't have health insurance you know they'll come lining up right to you because that i believe that's what it takes you know I me mean? in order to get them out of this hole that they're in uh, from behind the eight ball they're not going to go up into a hospital they're not going to make the they're not going to go on google and search for how do I get free health insurance? They're not gonna—they're not gonna do those type of things, you know. What I mean, because of the 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 um, years of trauma of of generational traumas and, and and curses that they've been going through for all their life, so they're not gonna do those things. So, I believe it's our job to actually go to them. So, a big part of what I do is, you know, making them feel comfortable, making them feel like you know what I mean, um, that they can trust me. Going to these blocks, you know I me mean? from my lived experience, you know I me mean? from me telling my story and them knowing from where I come from. And, and what I've been through, it gives me a little bit easier access, you know, I mean, so they, they put their guard down and actually let me help them get to a different place in their life.
0: Yeah. I and mean, we talked a little last week and we were saying that like one of the things that needed to be done is it just needs to be more programs like um, reimagining justice. I mean, why do you think, you know, there's so much talk about violence and there's so much talk about the the way to kind of, Push back against violence. A lot of people are saying we need more cops, which um, we know that that can be problematic in our communities for so different, many different reasons. But this, what you, the work you're doing, just seems like such an obvious and good solution. Like, why don't? Why do you think there's not more programs such as Reimagining Justice out there, considering all the violence that we're facing in our communities?
1: I think it's 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 draining. It's it's physically and mentally draining. Like you know, and it's not. Um... It's actually not the easy solution. What what happens is to do a home visit, you know what I mean um, to to some of these houses, like, you know I me, mean? is to 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 go into like really, really like complex and difficult like situations. Sometimes you re-triggered. Sometimes, like, you know, um um sometimes you, you haven't dealt with your own trauma in order to deal with these kind of things, you know. Um then a lot of, of of a lot of the the workers that are directly um, um, related to this work, uh, when we talk about credible messengers and stuff like that, many of them don't like doing documentation, you know, and that is a, is, is probably the, the 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 key component that's missing. So if you don't like doing documentation, it's it's kind of hard to, to have um, self-sustainability, you know, because in order to get, you know, RPS and all these grants and stuff like that, you have to have, you have to be willing to do documentation. You know, Um, if it wasn't written, it wasn't done, you know, and that concept, I don't think, you know, a lot of organizations fully understand. They just feel that, you know, they're out there interrupting violence and, and they they deserve to get money for that. And it does it just doesn't work like that. And and until the system changes, where they, they just give access to money like that, it won't ever be. Because that doesn't really stop future violence. You know, you might interrupt it for the moment, but that doesn't, you know, if somebody's still homeless, they're gonna continue to do what they need to do to survive because they're homeless. If you don't have documentation, that means you cannot get illegal employment. That means you can't, you're not supposed to be driving a vehicle. It means you can't really even be a regular citizen. So if you have, if you're missing all of these key components in your life, you need actually like, you know what I mean? Kind of like a, a street social worker to be able to do a home visit, to be able to go to um, with you to, to to your probation officer and, and, and advocate for you, to advocate for you at the hospital and stuff like that. If you don't really have those key components, like as a, as a case manager, then, you know, it's going to be the same thing over and over again. I don't want to be interrupting violence for the rest of my life until, until I'm old and gray. That's not the point of this. The point is to, is to help individual get to a a higher level where that they can now help and service somebody else or just live their life. But if, if your life is a nightmare, just because that you don't have the simple resources of, of a human being, it's no good, you know? And I guess, you know, all these organizations really have to look in the mirror and ask like, what are we actually doing?
0: Yeah, there's definitely a lot of work that needs to be done. I know that one of the ways that you got into this work yourself is because you're a survivor of violence. Can you tell us a little bit about how your experience um, has shaped the work that you do and your, the perspective that you bring to it?
1: Right. Um, So a big part of, of, of why I'm so trauma informed is because I never want to offend or re trigger or traumatize anybody like, the things that didn't happen to me, you know what I mean? From uh, the early molestations to the rape at 11, to the constant abuse and beatings of my father, you know, from me watching him um, shoot up heroin to smoking crack in front of me, uh, from him beating people up on the streets to robberies, you know what I mean? From him, you know, beating up on my mother, you know what I mean? And when she wasn't around, like, you know, he pounced on me. It did something to me, you know? Um, it, it did something to my brain. So what ended up happening by by the age of like, you know, eight to nine years old, you know, I developed this outlet of self-mutilation. I used to stick my, my fingers in water and shock myself on on sockets. I used to burn my, my my flesh over stove, you know, at eight and nine years old. And eventually it started to manifest itself into something greater where I started, you know, cutting flesh out of my skin over and over and over again. By the time I hit 16, 15 years old, I was already in the game. You know I me mean? um and I was um exhorting all kinds of violence into my community as an outlet because i had all, I was full of all of this rage you know so connecting somebody to you know a therapist connecting somebody to somebody to to vent to talk to to write it out you know what I mean and, and teach them different tools and healing techniques like that is the key you know um because I remember exactly where they were. You know, I had so much rage in my head that was going on in my house. If I was sent to go to the laundromat, I still had that bottled up rage and anger. So what happens when somebody bumps into me and doesn't know how to articulate themselves to ask me to move out the way? You know, it's a conflict. It's an explosion. And all of a sudden, somebody gets hurt. This is the community violence that we're dealing with. You know, so me being able to understand that. Helps me put myself in somebody else's shoes to help talk them down, to de-escalate them, to give them tools, to learn how to articulate and, and avoid things and talk to one another in the in the community. Because a lot of it is 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 communication. It's a lack of it. And it's a lack of understanding. You know? So when somebody thinks that they're the only person going through something in their house, sometimes it it, it puts a, a bitterness in you that you end up inflicting, you know, I mean conflict and 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 vengeance and pain on somebody else because you think you're the only one going through this in the world. And it's not true.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Um yeah, I know with some of the organizing work that um we do, we work with um William Evans and Harlem um the hate- has an organization called Neighborhood Benches, and he does a lot of great work in the community. And when we talk to the people in the community about, especially young men, about what they need, a lot of them are just like, we just need someone to connect with, you know, because some someone to like, who's going through the same things that we're going through and just talk us through it, you know, and it's just like, it seems so simple, but we need so much more of that in our community. I didn't know the level of detail that, um, that you shared today just now as far as like what you had to go through when, growing up. I, I read somewhere that you were tortured in your house and, um, and it struck me because even for me, my mom went through a lot of abuse in her house. Like I went through some abuse and oftentimes just people don't talk about that and like just how that like impacts your entire life, you know? And like we talk about gun violence, but we don't talk about just family violence and and when that happens like people don't turn to the police you don't know who to turn to so thanks for sharing your story so i guess my next question with you for you was about self-care and especially since it sounds like you know you're probably oftentimes triggered with the stories that you're hearing with the young folks that you're working with so like how do you tell us about that like just tell us about do you experience secondary trauma um and how you take care of yourself and how you get through this work, being triggered all the time, you know? Like, how do you deal with all that?
1: So, one, I got a therapist I, I speak to every Thursday um, to make sure, you know, I get I get all of that, you know, um, toxins out of my body, out of my mind and stuff like that, you know, me, and process um, that with my therapist. Um, every Every day I go back home, I decompress. You know, I try my best to decompress. Um, and if I feel certain elements in my body, you know what I mean, um i'm happening physically, <laughs> I literally have to tap out. You know what I mean? So I have no problem calling out, you know I me, mean? um doing a PTO time. I have to tap out from it. You know what I mean? Because otherwise I'm gonna, you know, snap, you know I me, mean? uh bump into a, a a major problem where my trauma spill out onto the, the clients and I can't have that. And I work too hard to, to get to the the space where I'm at right now. You know so make sure that I, i'm constantly like you know just being aware of certain things like you know I mean. so you know i know that you know anxiety sometimes you know manifests itself in a, in a physical way so like you know if i start you know getting the sweat beads the sweaty palms like you know um you know i learned to recognize the, the different signs in my, in my in my body you know um and different signs in other people when when, when they might be possibly triggered or going through some type of anxiety you know because i believe it's all levels you know, so once once you can identify and you know yourself, you know, that's the best way to have self-care. But I definitely got a therapist um, that I, I speak to every week. That's a, that's a mandatory.
0: So when you think back about everything that you've been through um, growing up, what do you think like you think back to like the eight-year-old like jason like what did you need at like what were some of the things that you were facing that led you to join a gang like what type of services what type of people did you need in your life
1: got you i guess it's the same thing that 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 we've created now like you know so if i was eight years old and it was somebody like myself in the community that, you know I me mean, that actually been through it to, see, to recognize the different signs from you know either watching me and observing like my movement and also from speaking to me, you know what I mean? That, uh, I, I begin to like, you know, trust and, 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 and let my guard down to, to let them know what's going on in my household. Possibly that person has enough know-how and respect from my father to actually speak to him, to start to give him the help and the resource that's needed you know, all all we, all we really needed was resources. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, he eventually ended up stopping his use of drugs, you know, but by the time he did, I was already 13. Um, um, I was 13 when he stopped using drugs and stopped, you know, being like, you know, extremely abusive as he was like, you know, when he stopped using drugs, everything stopped, but the damage was already done with me, you know? And there was nobody that I, I, I didn't go to therapy until I was like maybe 25, 26 years old, you know, so I I, I wasn't able to process half of that stuff that was going on. You know, I had a, a real distaste in my mouth for my mother because, you know, I'm looking at this black woman putting up with this garbage. And, you know, it's been a couple of times where, you know, he's caught like real violent seizures and he was about to die. And I woke her up out of her sleep, brought her in the room. So she can actually bear witness with me that, you know, he was going to die. Like almost like we were supposed to celebrate. She called the cops, saved his life. And I'm looking at her like, I don't understand this. You know, we saved his life so he can, you know, beat our ass again. I didn't, I didn't, I, I was confused as an AEO, as a 9-yo, as a 10-yo, you know, it was, that was too confusing. You know, it was confusing that, you know, I was not supposed to snitch, you know, snitching and talking was, was, was a no-no. You know, so when the cops would come to the house because of, of loud banging, she has a busted lip, black eye. Now I'm looking at the system. Watch another woman get beat up on, you know, and, and, you know, I'm sure I had the saddest face on and, you know, no one's saying anything to my father and they leave the house. So I'm looking at a failed system. Like, you know me, I mean? I needed somebody to process those things with me. Like I needed somebody that had been through the same type of struggles to sit down with me and say, listen, you know. This is not right. You know, this is not normal. You know, instead of me internalizing everything and thinking that all of that stuff was normal, you know, I became desensitized to it. So when I saw it happen to other people, it kind of was like, yo, so what? It took me a minute to actually get to this, 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 this mental um um space that I'm at now.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, I just recently talked to some a family member who had a domestic violence situation and she was but she was older she's 22 um and it was her sister basically who beat her up choked her um and it took her a while to like realize no this is wrong and then and and it took her like when she went to the hospital and and they said and she said she fell down the steps and they're like do you feel safe at home and she said to me, like, you know, they saw at the hospital that, like, you know, I could have reported this to the police. So it took her a minute to realize, like, that's not right, you know. And I could just imagine when you're, like, eight years old or nine years old, you it's really hard to figure out what's going on and who to go to and who to trust.
1: Yeah, because you imagine if that worker, you know, possibly had that lived experience and wasn't bound by some of the, the um the contracts that you sign of not to cross those boundaries like you know I me mean? imagine if that worker was you know was able to explain to her, her lived experience and how she had to get out of the D V situation. She probably, you know what I mean sometimes it doesn't have to take uh, uh too many hospital visits or a death, you know, the thank God she got out of it. Like, you know what I mean? But some many of them don't even get that option. You know, so, you know, I just think those type of things need to be tweaked. Like, you know, um, when I was in um child welfare um, for ACS, one of the main things they said was like, you never get personal with the clients. Don't cross those boundaries. That's one of the main things that they say, you know, but you're looking at somebody that needs your expertise on how to get through this painful thing. We connect them with a therapist um, or somebody else that's in the, um, in, the, in the mental health field and they can't connect with them. They don't fully uh, reach, uh, reach out to them and all of a sudden the ball gets dropped and here we go you know, with, the, with another person, I'm right, caught up in a cycle. I think that's problematic.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And it's like, because it's treating them, it's like these are the services that are supposed to be giving people support and helping them heal, but you're treating them like a number. If you treat them like a number, you're not giving them the type of help they need to to heal. And, then, and it actually made me think too early when you were talking about, just the red tape and the bureaucracy and, and how hard it is when people are trying to get services. Like especially with government red tape. I know a lot of times when people try to get services like well, healthcare services or housing services, they end up like waiting for hours and then they're getting treated like a number two, which is like you're just hurting people even more so when they already need so much support. Something else that you mentioned with your dad saying that, you know, he needed mental health services. And I think that's so true. And we need to make sure There's more funding and more money going into our communities to get um, our folks the type of mental health support they need. But I know, for me, I forever I've been trying to get my mom to go to therapy, and she's just she's like, it's the church. It's not, you know, I'm not going to talk to no therapist. And I also know it seems hard to get a lot of black men to go to therapy. So let's talk about therapy. Like, what's your thoughts about? Do you think it's that it's hard to get our folks, particularly black men, but or just black older black people in general, to go to therapy. Like, what, what's your thoughts on that?
1: I think I think it comes from a, a certain community. I think it's young, old. I, I think there's just one of them taboo things that they they get afraid of, you know, um, going to therapy. And I think it's up to people that you know have been through um, therapy that they that they love, that they respect, that they you know, kind of like you know they look up to and they have influence like myself, that's, you know, I have no problem letting them know, like, listen, you know, I wear glasses cause I need to see You're like, you know what I mean? It ain't, it's not about not being cool. Not like, you know what I mean? You know, make glasses look cool. Like, you know what I mean? No different from, you know, you make therapy look cool. Like, you know, it feels good to have a peace of mind and be able to sleep. You know, a lot of times when I'm talking to people, it's like, um, especially if you, you've been through the street life and, um, in some of these communities, um, they have insomnia. You know they have cold sweats. They wake up in the middle of the night. They have night terrors and stuff like that because they've been through all these all these different types of traumas. And it's kind of like I had to go to therapy to get rid of that stuff. Go to therapy. Do you want me to, to go to the first session with you? You know what I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll accompany with you. Like you know I me mean? to, to to go to the first session. You know. Do you need assistance with, with filling out the paperwork? You know what I mean? Whatever you need, let's do it. You know, but. You need more people like that to, to to make it a normal type of thing like that. That's just going to take foot in, in, in boots on the ground like work, you know, to take the stigma away from that. I don't really think it's like a, a, a gender or age thing at all. I think it's it's the community that 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 kind of puts a, a taboo and stigma on it, you know, for all these years. And it's just passing down that, that garbage.
0: And what do you think? What do you think the taboo is? The fact that if you go to the therapist, it means something wrong with you. Is that the taboo, or that you need to rely, or or is it just the fact that people don't want to talk to someone and tell someone they don't know their business type of thing? Like, what do you think the taboo is?
1: I think a big part of it was like fully knowing the rules and regulations. Like you know, what I mean like you know, if you are a fifteen or sixteen year old young person, like myself, that has committed acts of violence and murder. And that is the trauma that you've experienced that is that is causing a whole bunch of mental anguish in your life. You need somebody to talk to. Now, am I able to go to a therapist to say, yo, listen, you know, a year and a half ago, I shot somebody in the face and I killed them. I've never been caught for it. You know what I'm saying? I constantly see this person's face every time I look in the mirror. When I go around the corners, I'm paranoid. You know, it's doing something to me. Like, you know, I don't know what to do. They need, like, you know, and it, it needs to be clear guidelines and understanding that if I say this to get help, am I are, am I going to get thrown under the prison? You know what I mean? Or you know what's going to happen? Am I going to get you know um, um, you know thrown in a, in a sight ward? Like what, what's what's actually going to happen? Like so, a lot of times you have to sit down with them, and process with them, and teach them how to how to how to navigate even shopping around to the to, to find the find to right the right therapist. Like you know because it's in even in that industry in in that institution there's been a lot of harm that's been done you know it's been a lot of harm that's been done you know so i i, I kind of understand it like you know it's almost like if you see law enforcement do so much harm to a certain community and then you find yourself in a situation like a, a if you're if you're a young man or a woman you're going to some type of domestic violence in your home and it's kind of like Hey, the normal thing to do is to go to the police, but you don't trust them because you see all of the harm that they've done in the community. It makes things get funny or awkward. And that's the biggest problem that we're facing.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the police. And we talked a little bit about the police last week. And I mean, two things came to mind from what you were saying. One is that's just really messed up. Someone, have to deal with violence and they might've been someone actually were responsible for the violence and then they can't get the mental health support they need because they can't fully talk about it. So it brings me back to violence interrupters. It seemed like, yeah, with that, like if you have violence interrupters in the more credible met- messengers in the community, you know, they would be able to, they can be people that people turn to, to talk about um, violence that they were actually responsible for. Um, And they could even get training to actually have those conversations like a therapist um, does. And also, they say violence interrupters can actually like stop violence at the time it's happening in our communities. Kind of like just, you know, there's gun violence, intervene there. Kind of like the guardian angels. What do you think about that? Do you think violence interrupters should rise to the level of really like interrupting violence as it's happening, basically? What's your thoughts about that? I
1: see you smiling, so now I really want to know your answer. Oh man. So it's funny that you're saying that because um uh right now I got a I got a um a, a small cut um right above my eye, right under my um my eyebrow from breaking up a fight. Um about two at this two days ago now. Uh two 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 young, you know what I mean, men that I know getting into it with each other, a weapon is involved, you know what I mean? And they're both harming each other, you know what I mean? To the point where, you know, they're going to both end up in the hospital. They both ended up in the hospital, you know what I mean? Um, you know, stabbed up pretty bad, you know what I mean, amongst each other. And literally had to break this up because there's no way in hell I can watch somebody who I'm, I'm trying to help live. Kill one another. But I say this to say that I've been trained on how to, you know, disarm somebody, whether it's a gun or a knife. You know what I mean? So I've been doing that all my life. You know, um, the first time I lost my um, my bottom lip, I got my bottom lip bit off and in 3T in bitten out of my mouth, stabbing the eardrum and stabbed in the back of the calf twice. Um, this happened because I was saving uh, uh, my homeboy's life when another dude tried to shoot him you know I chased him down um um was able to take the gun from him but in the process my lip was bitten off you know bitten from off of my face you know I me mean, into his mouth and gone three teeth bitten out the mouth you know I me mean? um of course it hurt you know I me mean? um but i saved somebody's life you know I me mean? um for cuz you know if you know how to do it my thing is do it if you don't know how to do it, you know what you want to tap out from it. Cool, you know. Um, start working on prevention, you know. But I believe it's I believe in it all. I believe in prevention, intervention. You know what I mean? I believe in it all. I believe in you know, after the fact, you know, doing re- restorative practices. I believe in um, um, doing mediations. I believe in all of that. You know, I believe it, it needs to be. It needs to be a package, like you know what I mean. We're dying. We got too many home, like homeboys, homegirls dying. We got pe- too many people in our community just dying for no reason, you know. Um, you know, just recently, I saw, I saw this old man, like you know, um, um, like he's an old man. He has a cane, hit another older woman with a hammer and take her purse, and all I'm thinking is that he did this because. He was hurting for money, but it could have been anybody that connected to him to help him get the resources that he needs that he wouldn't have done that. He just wouldn't have done that, you know what I mean? But because he inflicted that harm to that person, he has to pay for that now. He has to. There's no way around it. There's no way around that, you know what I mean? Because that that person has you know um is traumatized that person's loved ones is traumatized and hurt you know what i mean so you know that's too late you know the most we can do now and that is is actually you know possibly restore it some years later you know what i mean so that so that you know um she doesn't have that 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 ill feelings on her heart but i think that's too late you know so i believe in it i believe in in training you know I me mean? um people from the community that have influence you know what I mean how to disarm people how to how to interfere how to you know we we was around it before when we was in the streets so this this is not this is like really no difference you know what I mean and believe it or not many of us have talked people down before we got into this work we talked people down from killing each other before so this that's this is nothing new you know this is nothing new to us at all I'm sure I'm sure it's been I'm sure it's been people that that have talked other people down from you know hurting me. Because it was upsetting me, so you know, I, I think it, it it can be done.
0: I agree with that. I mean, I think I think it could be done. I think the way things are right now, especially with with the police being the place that people go to for safety, is not working too well. Curious though, with the incident that you just discussed with the the, the man with the hammer who hit the um older lady. Do you think that, because, you know, part of the stuff, the work that we do at Common Justice is restorative justice, so it is kind of bringing the person who's, we, we say, responsible party, typically called offender, um, in conversation with the person that was harmed, like the victim. So do you, do you think in a situation like that, it would be helpful for maybe that old lady to tell that man what, it would be helpful for her, the victim, to tell that man what how what he did impacted her? Do you think it would be harmful at all in the whole process?
1: No, nah, I think it'd be helpful for both of them. You getting that opportunity and chance to actually like, you know, say something to somebody that you harmed or 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 for you to talk to somebody that harmed you and and say like like this is what it what it did to me. Like, you know, it helps people it, it helps bring human beings back to like th- their restored place. You know, I think it's essential to be done
0: for joining this podcast um i guess i will closing words like just any closing remarks from you about like your work or how people could follow you or anything well, any last words
1: the easiest way to get in touch with me uh, will be like um i guess through facebook it's um jason rtw davis um that's it you know I me mean? um, um connect reach out to me that way you know I me mean? and pretty much like you know if you I am always accessible, like to, to sit down and connect with somebody, to 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 strategize on 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 a strategic plan for your community, your block, you know what I mean, your city, your state. Like I have no problem with that whatsoever. Like sitting down in person or through Zoom and actually strategizing on how to make your community safer or to bring whatever resources to your underserved community. Like that's that's all I'm about. You know, that reduces crime.
0: Thank you, Jason. And 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 I'm just inspired by your work and I'm just warmed and inspired by this conversation. So thank you so much. I'm looking forward and I hope we get to work together because I definitely want to partner. So I hope we get to work together moving forward. Most definitely. Bye everybody.